A few weeks ago, we held the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit, a virtual event curated with expert speakers, those with real-world experiences from the front line of healthcare, all engaging in real-world issues that are shaping healthcare innovation today. This was the ninth virtual summit that we held, and they're a great way to bring together our THT Plus members to learn and connect about technology and healthcare. Now, our THT Plus members can go back and watch all of the recordings from this summit that's just passed and also the previous ones that we've held too. Now, our THT Plus members get way more than just access to our quarterly virtual summits, though. You get a range of other promotion and professional development opportunities as well, which you can learn more about at talkinghealthtech.com slash THT Plus. But as a special treat for you now on the podcast, we're going to share with you a session from the Winter Summit that just passed. Now, if you enjoy the vibe of this one and you're keen to take your health tech to the next level, consider becoming a THT Plus member. We've got options for every stage of growth, whether you're pursuing this path as an individual or you want to get the word out about your startup or scale-up organization. Now, we're already gearing up for our next THT Virtual Summit, which will be happening in November of this year. Check out our website for more information on that one. But right now, here's a session taken from the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit 2023. Collaboration starts with the Conversation Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech Audience Survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Implementing digital health technology requires careful planning, support, and the right processes for success. How can the right levels of support, collaboration, and planning ensure the successful implementation of new technologies in healthcare? Welcome to session four of the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit on digital health implementations, navigating change, collaboration, and adoption. In this discussion, David Kim, Implementation and Adoption Lead 3M, Senior Pediatric Surgeon, Dr. Bhavesh Patel, Karen Vanderwall, FFT Education and Adoption Coach at Sunshine Coast HHS. Moderating the discussion, Sophie Turner, Operations and Community Manager at Talking Health Tech. To get a pulse check before this session, we ran a poll on LinkedIn and we asked, what is most important for a successful digital health implementation? The position's pretty clear. 70% of people said collaboration and partnerships. 21% of respondents said careful vendor selection. 6% said rigorous staff training. And only 2% said prudent cost containment. Let's see what the panel has to say. I maintain one of the trickiest things to do in healthcare technology is to actually implement the thing. So I love that we've got a panel about this and that Sophie... Our community and operations manager at Talking Health Tech is going to be moderating the discussion. So I'm going to hand over to Sophie to, to run the show. Thanks, Sophie. Thanks, Pete. And hello, everyone. Welcome to session four. It's all about implementations this afternoon, and we're looking forward to diving into it. 
So as a nurse myself, I also work at Sunshine Coast Health as well, casually. My experience is getting implementation right is a craft and it requires buy-in and commitment from all levels. Recently, speech recognition workflows were implemented at Sunshine Coast Health using 3M's AI-driven speech understanding technology. And in today's panel, we're going to explore how the appropriate levels of organisational support coupled with the right implementation and adoption process ensured this implementation success. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with everyone on our panel. We've got great representation from all levels. So I'm going to throw to um, each of our panel just to do a quick introduction on who you are and what you do. We'll start with you, Karen. Hi, Sophie. Yeah, I'm the Education and Adoption Coach at Sunshine Coast um, University Hospital, but I cover all the, the five in our health service, all the five hospitals. My background is HR and training and working in private and government organisations uh, over the years. So and I've always been passionate about learning and ensuring the end user is supported in any rollouts that I've been a part of. So this is just another another rollout, which has been awesome. Amazing. And Bavesh, straight from the operating theatre. Uh, yeah, I'm glad I made it on time. Uh, thank you. Uh, so I'm a paediatric surgeon. I work at the Children's Hospital in Queensland. I got to Sunshine Coast as well. I do some private work. I'm on some national boards for governance and training for paediatric surgery. And I'm just a tech geek. So I'm really interested in technology and really systems improvement overall. And like most clinicians and, and any kind of medical staff, I'm time poor. So I'm interested in making things better for the patient, but also making it easier for me to do my job. Amazing. And finally, David? Hey everyone, I run the implementation and adoption teams for Clinician Speech Solutions as part of 3M's uh, Health Information Systems team. Uh, what that means is I pretty much work with the project teams to get our speech technology set up properly and work with the clinicians so that the change management and the adoption of the technology is as smooth as possible. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help. Yes, you to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness, 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Amazing. Well, we've got a breadth of experience here today. David, I'm going to start with you. As the vendor, how do you approach collaboration and how do you support the staff training efforts to maximise user adoption? Yeah, well, I think implementing new speech technology specifically is a, is a massive change for an organization. 
and uh, clinicians um, who are part of it. So collaboration is probably one of the most important things that need to be addressed from the very start of discussions. So for our team at 3M, we try to do this first by having a, a very deep understanding of the customer and specifically the clinician's needs out of uh, a speech product. So one, one size doesn't fit all when it comes to speech solutions. So we try and get an overall understanding of what that business is trying to accomplish without sacrificing the, the user's experience when it comes to the change management. Um, you know, we want to build as many relationships as we can with the clinicians, you know, provide as many demos as we can. So any concerns or questions can be addressed, uh, make sure that the clinicians know all the feedback is taken seriously and that the follow-up is communicated appropriately as well. Because that seems to be a, a big feedback for a lot of new implementations in general. You know, there's a lot of feedback that's given, but a lot of people, I think, well, at least from our experience, it seems like it just goes down a black hole. So, you know, we want to take that seriously and we want to make sure that, you know, it is something that we do think about and we do uh, try to tend to. So I, I think with, with the adoption piece and the training, we're a pretty big believer in on-site training and onboarding. Uh, and I think that's the, the culture that we've incorporated into our adoption team and that's what's made us successful. And there's something about seeing the whites of someone's eyes, the facial expressions in person that allows for better collaboration. I, I personally think it helps build better relationships and leads to more effective troubleshooting. And ultimately, the, the best secret weapon we have for successful adoption is, is winning the hearts and minds of clinicians. You know, if the clinicians are happy and successful with the product, they'll, they'll have a lot more success getting their peers to adopt and embrace a product versus any adoption team. So we're just here to make sure that you know, they're, they're getting exactly what they need out of a product. You know, there might be a thousand features that you know, they have in this product, but the user might only really care about 10 of those products or 10 of those features. So let's try to make this actually fit like a glove for that user is our mentality. Yeah, fantastic. And I'm going to throw to you, Karen, now. I guess you are the key to being the secret weapon sitting in the middle. Can you provide some insights on how you design and deliver training programs to ensure that the staff are well prepared and confident in using this new technology? Sure. Look, I think leaning back, you know, coming from the project of seeing how the software would work first, I think going in before going across the organisation helped. So that sort of started aligning how the training should look as well. You know, should it be online? Should it be face-to-face? -face? Should it be uh, reading? So we sort of had to cater to all areas. Not all clinicians have the time to sit with me face-to-face. -face. Saying that though, I think probably the success for us has been having somebody dedicated to that role of education and adoption because it's the one go-to place and they know they've got the support. I think creating the training materials is making sure that we understand the user's requirements and, and let alone their learning style, which comes back to how we're going to do that. Is it going to be face-to-face? -face? Is it going to be online, etc. The big thing, it was a cultural change for us. And you can imagine, and Bevesh will back me up here, I'm sure, is that a lot of the senior clinicians that have been around a long time don't particularly want that change. I've got a lot of change going on all the time. So we had to try and do the training and the adoption and the support in a way that would actually ensure that they felt they were supported along the way and it was going to be a benefit to them. So I think it's that comes back to what's in it for me is finding out what's in it for the clinician um, and getting them working. The other thing was it wasn't just clinicians. We've got nursing staff on board. We've got allied health staff. So it's a, it's across the board. We've got to understand all their requirements. The software, letting them control the software when we're learning is another big thing. I do a lot of the training via Microsoft Teams, which allows them to drive the software so they're learning along the way. 
someone's success has been just being available for them when it suits them. So, uh, you know, being pretty uh, flexible in timing. Look at Bavesh comes out of surgery and he goes, okay, I've got time now. You've just got to be ready to sort of jump on board to do that. That's been another success. The other thing with the training side of it is the length of the session. If I said to any of the clinicians, you, you've got to take four hours out of your day now to sit here and learn this and do this, it's never going to occur. So the sessions had to be short and sharp. And like David said, I could show them 100 things, but there's probably only six of them that are, are pretty relevant for them to get started today. So I think understanding their requirements and being available for them and being short and sharp is a, is a bonus. The other thing I think is having them, the new clinicians coming on is just using the new software. So rather than, you know, you're implementing new training and new delivery, you, if you keep just sort of going back to the old, it'll be very hard to implement. So there was a support from executive, which I'll talk about a little bit more later, but I think some of having that support from the executive to say, okay, is that one July, January this year, well, new clinicians will use the software has been a real turning point for us as well. Yeah, I think that it goes back to it, some of the comments that we're seeing at the moment from Josh. I, as, a, as a clinician who's experienced lots of implementations as a frontline staff, that online modules and emails only go so far. And so often we don't have that investment in someone like yourself really championing it and being available to yeah. these users when they need it and when they have the time to do the training. So go to Bavesh, how have you found the implementation and, and how has this particular technology impacted your own workflows? So this implementation was was very good. And I agree with what Karen was saying, was having the the a staff member I can I know who to talk to. I think that's one of the huge keys is I know the one person I can go to and Karen, you you made yourself available at short notice. So these sorts of things are really important and just the, the drive and the energy that's associated with it. Maybe I'm biased because I'm interested in some of this and I can see a vision of improved care into the future. But to get each generational person or the differences in generations to get them to change and use technology, that's a, that's a scary thing. Yeah. And, and I think if we, it's getting on the same page. So we, not, we need to make sure from a clinician point of view, from the vendor point of view, are we on the same page? Do we want the same thing here? So what's our, dare I say it, we go to a mission statement or something like that is what's our mission here? What do we want to achieve? So the the thing we want to achieve, we want to see and treat uh, in the best possible manner the most number of patients in a given period of time. Part of that mission is for this particular implementation, it's adequate documentation and timely documentation and then delivering on that promise. Cool. Well, David, from your experience, what differentiates the successful implementation of the digital health technology from an unsuccessful one, particularly when we're looking at staff training? Well, from my experience, what I think flags a uh, successful implementation is when there's high engagement from the support teams and clinicians with lots of open communication and feedback that's being worked through in a positive manner. You know, with all implementations, there's always going to be problems. It might seem like it's going to work out properly and fine, but we all know that problems always happen and it's a matter of adjustment. So not all issues and problems can get solved quickly, but there are ways around it and there's always going to be a workaround. Um, also, when there's strong leadership and clinician champion support from the uh, customer side, 
I don't think there's any problem that's too big that can't be solved. Uh, to mm -hmm. me, that usually means that there's a very positive attitude and culture, like uh, Karen mentioned, that's been established, which means, in my mind, you know, we'll figure out a way to make this work somehow. And the most important part of that is the word together because that, that's the partnership, that's the collaboration that needs to be heavily established for new technology to work together in this new environment. So with that kind of culture, I think it usually brings positive outcomes and, and user adoption. And I think the most common pitfalls would probably be not being flexible, not getting the end users involved with the planning process and not having a deep understanding of the business and the end users needs. Because typically being on the vendor side, there's a, there's a business need and that's why they're going for this product. And there's an end user need. And each department could be very different. Each clinician could be very different. And usually during that planning process, I think if it's looked at more as a blanket solution for all problems, I, I think that's definitely going to be the wrong approach. We need to have a very deep understanding from all the different end users, from all different departments to truly understand what kind of solution can we bring that will make this a successful project and implementation at the end. So. To have a successful implementation is usually the result of uh, careful planning, collaboration, continuous improvement through working through the feedback and a sharp focus on meeting the needs of both the business and the end users. Thanks, David. So then to, to Karen, sort of sandwiched between our vendor and our, our end users, what are your tips for developing a robust implementation? Yeah, look, we've learned a lot over the last couple of years, so I can say that for sure. One of the big things is definitely having the executive and senior influencers on your side. And I think, you know, if you've got their support, the rest will become a little bit easier for you. The other thing is, is, is having the senior clinicians as the change champions, I think David just mentioned that a little, having them there and their peers will talk to them about it. So they'll go, well, what was your experience? How did you find it? One of the things we're seeing now is that, you know, some of the older, as in, I don't mean older as in age, I mean older that have been there for a number of years, the Vesh, I can see is fine. Um, the older clinician like that that's been around who doesn't want to change is now seeing some of the new guys coming through using the system and going, well, what are you doing and how does it work? And now I'm getting those calls and going, hey, can I have that too? And you go, yeah, sure. You know, you, you just don't knock them back and you don't knock them for not coming on when, when we asked them, but you just work with it and play the game, I suppose. But it's just being there and continually supporting them. The other thing we did as part of the project, can't take credit for this, but as part of the project, they had the change champions on posters around the hospital as well. And I think that in itself, it's no use having somebody they don't recognise. So the senior clinicians that were the change champions and part of the project initially supported that and they're still using it today really well. The other, I, I show empathy to them. So I think that to, you know, talk about a robust implementation, you've got to show empathy. These guys are really busy and have back-to-back -back patients in clinics. And, and I understand, you know, that they, they just want the shorter, sharpest, whatever we can get, you know, whatever they can do to get the information out. But one of the biggest things is the drivers from the, is the GP. So we weren't communicating with the GP that effectively. Now we communicate with the GP, you know, we, the GPs are positive about what they're getting because they're getting information on a timely basis. Basically, once a clinician clicks sign, it, that letter is dispatched within an hour to the GP's clinic and placed up on the viewer. So the benefit for that is that they've got the information if that patient shows up that afternoon or the next day, um, depends when the um, clinician has signed that letter, of course. 
It also means that there are less patients returning to the hospital for care that can be done at the GP clinic. So one of the areas, you know, that I worked with, we did a lot of templates on wound care for suture removals and things like that, that they could send out to the GP and go, okay, can you you look after the patient? This is what needs to happen. Otherwise, that patient is returning again to get those sutures removed or the wound, you know, cared, and it can be done sometimes in the GP clinic. So you you talk about an implementation plan. It's bigger than that. It's, It's involving so many people from the patient to the GP, to the clinician, to to us that's supporting them back in the hospital as well. So to go a little bit broader than just the three of us or four of us that are sitting here today, how that implementation that you've had to put in that really has to encompass the entire health service and the PHN, how has your experience been with that? Yeah, it's been good. Look, I think having the pilot project, which I was part of that initially with David as the pilot, and that only, you know, we started there. Then it was uh, an an implementation of an actual project to get it implemented. So it had a dedicated project manager that worked tirelessly to get it implemented into the health service. Then we, you know, more and more people came on the project to support it. And then as at July 1 last year, it went BAU and they had a dedicated role, which which I'm sitting in as the education adoption person, I think has been one of the most, it's the successful part because how often do you see a project or an implementation get implemented and everyone walks away and then they're left to support themselves. They don't have that. They've got um, somebody there to educate and support them along the way. And I I think that's been a a big part of 3M's strategy in in the implementation and adoption as well that you can talk to a little bit, David. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to give a a big round of applause to Ken because without that cultural change at Sunshine Coast and having Karen being the dedicated boots on the ground for this project of the implementation, there's just no way that we would have been this successful there. The, the way I see it, at least from the vendor's point of view, is that you know we come in as these experts, we know the product very well, we know how to make that adaptable and make it fit like a glove, like I mentioned, for departments and clinicians, but Karen is the one who's there all the time. Um, she knows the doctors at a much deeper level and has a better understanding around their pain points when it actually happens because she can get that direct feedback in real time versus us where you know we typically maybe have like a meeting or two every week or fortnight. Um, so that partnership is very, very valuable because having that boots on the ground, having a deep understanding of the clinician's pain points and getting that feedback in real time and working with us to be able to kind of tag team these problems together has really created this harmonious relationship where you know we can solve all these problems together and we can have this relationship where even though a problem does happen and they have happened that in this project, we've had a lot of, we have, we've had lots of problems, but we've always found a way to get through it together. And I think in the end, it just makes us, the, the partnership that we have, it just makes us feel a lot closer. We also get a very good relationship with the clinicians as well because it really it starts off as a vendor and the adoption team maybe that Karen is running, but you know, we get involved with the clinician side as well. So it really is a perfect partnership and it's a, it's a good model that works that we've seen. Babesh, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, just a few little points. I agree with what you're saying in terms of look, it, it does need to be a partnership. The the feedback, there's a difference with uh, between having um, someone to feedback to as opposed to uh, an email address or a chat bot, that sort of thing. I think people can end up being quite frustrated and rude when emailing feedback. There seems to be this sort of nebulous 
team behind the IT implementation strategy of what it, whatever kind it may be. And if there's someone who is ready to listen and provide some solutions. And for me, or for this particular issue, it was, it was Karen, and it was able, we were able to just sit down and just go through some of the issues. So that, I think, in terms of any implementation strategy for other companies to consider making sure that there is that go-to person. And, and this is, it's a much wider process, right? So as you said, it's uh, consulting with, with the recipient of these messages. So as soon as I found out that, oh, there's this great new system that allows me to send all of my documentation and have it sitting in the in the in-tray of the recipient within an hour, I, I, that was really exciting for me. Um, and so I messaged, I'm, I'm, as you can imagine, I'm on some doctor groups and things like that. So I messaged the group saying, great, I've got this new strategy at Sunny Coast. What format would you like the letter to be in? And then I can make a template for that. And again, as you've said, Paul, and I agree with, with Josh, your, your messages, that it's about, again, gaining that partnership and reestablishing collaborative care. The next step is going to be how do we get the information in an easier manner for patients to take the information, digest, and have improved health literacy. Mm, the challenge, it continues. To wrap up a little bit, I think from each of our panellists, you know, we talk a lot about the collaboration and the importance of culture. How do we sort of keep fostering that with other implementations that we're, we're looking at? Like, is there, we're we not at risk of implementation fatigue as well? Oh, I might just there for a second because I know that, like, even, yes, I think that is a risk because you're continually and you're also asking the clinician, the end user, here's another program to go and learn. But I think if they're learning and they can see that what we're actually implementing or upgrading actually improves their day-to-day, -day, they're excited. Whether it's being dictating in straight into IMR or dictating their letter or having the GP auto-populate, Whatever makes their life easy is what we're looking at doing. So does it give them fatigue? Not if it's helping them. But I, I do get it when we go, we've got another program for you to learn. Again, I think if, as long as you've got the support system available and ready for them, being available when they're doing their clinics and they've got a new system to use, you've just got to be around. You've just got to be able to support them. But it is fairly, look, I know we've all bounced that word collaborative, can't even say that word, that word around in this talk. But that's the way it is. Everybody's just working together. And I know it sounds very Mary Poppinish, but it's it's actually working. But there's an element of if the program's intuitive enough, then there's very little learning to do. True. So that's one side of it. And now that there's such better technologies such as artificial intelligence, I think there will be a place for some you know, significant automations from the machine learning that, that will come through. In terms of the generational differences, you've got the senior clinicians who, yes, they have to learn to move from a paper-based system to an electronic system and I have a huge number of thoughts around that, but that's not the focus of this topic. But the new doctors coming in, they don't know any different. And so there's very little learning to do because this is just how it's done. And so that's just part of their normal onboarding process. So one of the strategies is to 
just there's no choice. Here's this. Here's the program. This is how you do this part of the job. So it's just another thought to put in there. And then, as you say, Karen, that the the senior doctors might see the junior doctors doing something in a particular manner, and then there may be some engagement and interest as a result of that. Definitely. Ruha, so understanding of actions as an individual in the process can allow for bigger picture of patient and system outcomes. Yeah, I think that's definitely leaning leaning into that. And I, I think from what we've sort of learned today, it's a really nice, as Josh pointed out, we're very quick to lean into and highlight the you know the failures of IT implementation. So it's really nice to be able to hear the outcomes from a successful one and some of the strategies that have gone into it. So if we could just go to each of you individually, but what are some key takeaways from this experience and this implementation that you would like to share with our with our audience? So we'll start with you, David. The biggest key takeaway I've taken from this project specifically is, you know, we really saw a good cultural shift. And I know that word is often used as a buzzword and similar to what Karen was saying with the word collaboration, but you know, it, it can be used in, you know, it can be used in all sorts of ways, or it can be interpreted in all sorts of ways. And that cultural shift at Sunshine Coast was very important because, like Babesh said, we really established this culture there where you know they could just go to someone and you know they knew that they can build this relationship with them, this partnership, another buzzword, where they create this partnership to be able to help each other because you know there is a lot of products kind of thrown in people, the clinicians' faces and. All this technology, you know, it's it's advertised as something that's supposed to give time back. But often, you know, we find a lot of clinicians who uh, are sold this product and it's not really giving them time back. If anything, it's giving them more frustrations and something new for them to learn. So how can we just, uh, you know, the, the the impact is there and the potential is there for to make their lives a lot easier because we, we've seen that in all sorts of reports and uh, case studies and such. But... Now, that means nothing if it's not applied specifically to your life or your business or your um, your patients and your workflow. So what can we do to get to that point? And that cultural shift we had at Sunshine Coast is where we were able to develop something very strong in a way that the clinicians were able to have an easy change management process and also a product that works for them. Sure. And Karen? Yeah, I, I suppose. And coming back to having that partnership with the vendor is really important. I think Bavesh sort of hit on before when you, it's somebody behind a screen, you don't want that or you don't want that. You want to have that relationship that you can ring up or you can email and you go, hey, I've got this real issue because they're clinicians at the end of the day that are, are trying to solve something you know, I'd rather them doing, you know, be focused on the clinical and not being worrying about the software side. So, you know, if I've got, if I need an answer for them, I'd expect the vendor to give me an answer fairly quickly. And, and look, to be fair, I've got that. And that does come back to a partnership or relationship you've got. You know, if I've got a problem that I can't answer, I, has to, I have to escalate it. And nine times out of 10, it's David and his team that will respond. So I think if anyone's going to have a robust implementation, you've got to have a robust partnership with your vendor. Otherwise, it just won't be successful. And as Fang has mentioned, a, a, super, a super weapon, Karen, for equivalent. <laughs> To, to drive it in the, in the facility. So it's um, an amazing job that you're doing. And I know from experience, it's not an easy seat to sit in. Um, Thank you. Everyone needs a can bando on their business. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you. 
<laughs> and Babesh. Okay, so you, you've you've talked about all of the major issues so far. So I can provide a clinician's perspective that change tapes takes time, and it needs to be prioritised as long as that we all have a clear big picture goal at the end of it. And so there's partly there's a bit of a sell. So the sell for for me this the the flex that was put in was your letters will get to the GP within an hour of, of doing it. So that was enough for me to get interested and involved. For clinical teams, you need to find the, the key personnel within each of your, your different clinical teams to prioritize the change and then be really engaged uh, in that partnership to be able to facilitate how we want it to run. And I think a lot of the implementation strategies that have been done poorly don't have that partnership and that they don't have that engagement from the right people. And I think understanding all the stakeholders in it, you know, we, we always mm. come clinician, but what at the end of the day was us communicating with the GP was our, our main thing we wanted to happen as well within from the Sunshine Coast. So I think in making sure we know who our stakeholders are at the end of the day. And um, and having the GPs happier up here because they're being communicated with is, is an absolute bonus. Yeah, thank thank you all. So uh, some buzzwords to take away for all of us is the importance of that partnership that's about the collaborative approach, that culture shift that needs to happen and, and the change within that. And it's sort of I've got a little quote from one of our community members that's coming to mind is that change happens at the speed of trust. And it, you guys seem to have, have really fostered a really trusting environment where you've been able to go backwards and forwards and really push this implementation and, and make a success of it, which I, I think is a testament to all of you and to the Sunshine Coast Health. And it's been really wonderful to hear from each of you on that. Have we got anything quickly? Fang, who hired Karen? <laughs> yeah, Queensland Health, uh, Queensland Health. Queensland Health makes some, some good decisions. We just need to solve the interoperability of some of our software. All right, here's Pete. The You know what I really like about, you know, obviously this discussion where we've got the real-world examples that people have been able to provide, but some of the reflections happening in the chat too from, you know, hearing from Dr. Josh Case, who has seen a lot of it firsthand from a clinician side, particularly Paul as well, who very much plays that role in between clinicians and the vendors and implementing solutions. So there's a lot of knowledge that's bubbling around here in what I know in from a technology being used in a healthcare setting, the, the hardest part by far is this implementation stage. There's a lot of change management aspects that, that really need that focus and just a lot of human mushiness that's hard to quantify that is relationship management and trust. Similar to all these points around, you know, the patient engagement side and how do we engage patients in a meaningful way? It's about building all those core things that us as, as humans kind of value most, which is, you know, understanding expectations, building trust and doing things in an, in an open and transparent way. So yeah, that's cool. But uh, Bernie also wished a, a happy him week for David as well, which it seems a very geeky thing to do. So that's wonderful. Look, Sophie, David, Bavesh, Karen, thank you so much for taking us through a great case study today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. 
Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy your coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.